in, in many, many countries, including the UK and America and certainly Australia, believe that vaping is worse for you than smoking. So I guess if you're going to, if you're against smoking, you're going to be against vaping if you've been misinformed to that degree. So, yeah, there's a lot of different reasons, um, and, but a lot of them are based on ignorance, unfortunately. Hello, world. Welcome to the Vaping Unplugged podcast. Everything you need to know about vaping and tobacco harm reduction. Hello, world. You are listening to the podcast Vaping Unplugged. As you know, we discuss vaping and harm reduction globally. And today we've invited a very special guest, Christopher Snowden, who is an author, journalist, also head of lifestyle economics at the Institute of Economics Affair. Um, Mr. Snowden is also specializing in a field such as tobacco, alcohol, obesity, if I'm not missing out on anything, I'm a specific um, thank you so much, Mr. Snowden, for being with us today. Absolute pleasure. It's our pleasure. Well, before we start talking about vaping and some of the, the current situation in the UK regarding vaping, I just want to maybe briefly talk generally about the nature of paternalism um, when it's concerning the public health, um, and then we could move on. So um, since um, paternalism is not a rare occurrence in different countries around the world. And uh, we can see that those kind of policies or legislative pieces are usually implemented in regards to the public health. I just wanted to, you know, ask you the first more of a general question, with what kind of nature does paternalism have in general and how effective, I know it's a broad question, but how effective are usually those policies in reality when it comes to public health? Well, there are lots of different types of paternalism, but probably the most common type these days dresses itself up in terms of public health. Um, it kind of resembles a religion in many ways. You know, perhaps people don't believe in, uh, in heaven. They just want to live for as long as possible. But I think it's also almost like a competition between governments. You know, the, you have these international tables looking at smoking rates and per capita alcohol consumption and life expectancy. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they want to impress one another and impress the World Health Organization and get awards for clamping down on supposedly unhealthy activities, often genuinely unhealthy activities, you know, but nobody wants to live forever. And uh, most people are prepared to make a trade-off between risk and enjoyment. Um, so, yeah, I mean, public health is, is taken almost um, as red as being a... Uh, necessary and essential government function, target, call it what you will. The, it doesn't tend to work very well, um, or if it does work, it, it works in a very narrow sense and you create all kinds of unintended consequences. So um, it's best to look at it really as a sliding scale of prohibition. You know, the whole point is to deter people from doing things that they clearly want to do, because if you leave them alone, they do them. Uh, and you can use tax rises, of course, are very popular with politicians because you raise revenue. But there's other ways of trying to deter people from consuming certain products. You can try banning advertising. You can make it less convenient to get hold of. You can ban it completely, you know. But it's a sliding scale, really, from freedom to prohibition. And everybody knows, I hope, the, the problems with prohibition you know, if there's still demand for a product, 
people will find a way of getting it. We know this from the war on drugs. And we know the problems that the war on drugs has, has caused. Um, you know, endemic criminality, corruption, uh, governments losing tax revenue, products becoming less, you know, products that are already unhealthy becoming less healthy. And um, yeah, you, you can't avoid that just by not actually bringing in prohibition. If you, if you make something very expensive, you're gonna create a black market. Um, and uh, so, yeah, th this stuff, obviously you can have an effect. You can dampen down consumption, particularly if you make something incredibly expensive. You certainly dampen down legal consumption. You may well dampen down overall consumption. Um, the question is, is it really worth it when you create so many other problems? So it's generally speaking um, a pretty malign project, uh, often well-meaning, I'm sure, but creates all sorts of problems. And when, when you come to e-cigarettes, of course, you get a double whammy. You've got the worst of both worlds. You've got people thinking they're acting in the name of public health who are actually making things worse because you're clamping down on the substitute for, um, for, for smoking. And also on this issue, the libertarians who quite happily let people vape and indeed smoke for that matter, and by defending vaping, it's the libertarians who are also defending so-called public health. Um, you've mentioned uh, the war on drugs and also um, an approach with vaping or cigarettes. And I also wanted to ask you if there are any case studies since you're specializing in one different fields um, in alcohol, obesity, maybe there are some fields that I'm missing out on. Um, could you showcase or tell us about any case studies or examples of how this kind of prohibitionist approach has failed? Because I think... Um, it's important to show our listeners that this is a pattern not only when it comes to vaping, but generally prohibition works in a certain way. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, alcohol prohibition in the 1920s in America, not just America, in, in Russia, Iceland, Finland, um, you know, Canada, a few countries. Uh, that's one of the textbook examples. But if you're looking at this sliding scale, um, I think it was... I think it was Estonia, only a few years ago, really put up the, the tax on alcohol, uh, particularly on spirits, I think. And um, you used to get people going from Finland to Estonia to buy cheap alcohol, and they started going somewhere else. And in fact, the Estonians started going somewhere else for cheap alcohol. I think they went to Latvia. And um, so they ended up losing money. You know, the government expected to raise more money, actually ended up losing money. Um, there's a big black market in tobacco in Britain. You know, I was just in Georgia at the weekend and pack of cigarettes is the equivalent of two pounds. You know, in Britain, they're about 14 pounds. And so a lot of people simply cannot really afford to smoke. And rather than give up, they, they buy on the black market. Um, illegal vapes. Um, I mean, You've got some countries, Australia is a very good example, has always banned vapes containing nicotine and now banned vapes that even don't contain nicotine. But they've still got a big problem with underage sales, black market sales and underage vaping. Um, and the vapes themselves obviously are illegal. They're not regulated. There's no regulation in Australia. The people who are selling them don't care how old you are or who you are or what's in the vapes. And um, so again, you, you end up with people 
um, consuming something that's unnecessarily dangerous. You know, obviously I'm not against regulation. You know, don't get me wrong. I'm against paternalistic regulation, but I'm all in favour of consumer protection. Um, you know, if people don't want to be inhaling certain dangerous substances, and it takes sometimes experts to point out what those um, unusually hazardous substances might be. And so they're banned in the UK, they're banned in the European Union and all sorts of other places. They're not banned in Australia because everything's banned in Australia. And if you ban everything, you essentially just make everything unregulated. Hi everyone, hold up on the vaping for a second. We've got something very special for you. You ever have that feeling when someone's always saying don't do this, can't have that? Well, Fan Police is a podcast that is all about that. People trying to ban what you enjoy from a beer to a piece of chocolate. It's delivered by the Consumer Choice Center. It's a five-part series and it digs deep into why some people so desperately want to ban our fun. Well, Fun Police is easy listening and it's coming your way every week. Uh, now just get ready for a quick preview. Did you vape today or drink? Did you have a beer, a glass of wine, place a bet or eat chocolate? There are activists out there who believe that you are hurting yourself and that for the sake of the greater good, you should be banned from doing it. These activists are neo-prohibitionists. They don't believe in your right to choose and they have big budgets to lobby governments to restrict your lifestyle. And their actions have real consequences. Prohibition of, of something, whether it's riding without a seatbelt, whether it's selling cigarettes, this creates new opportunities for citizens to interact with the police. Garner, who had been accused of selling cigarettes illegally on New York's Staten Island, seen here being taken down by NYPD officer Daniel Pantaleo. So this Orwellian-sounding FCTC is about benefiting the black market and making poor people pay. I listen to people saying, oh, we don't want to tax the poor. Well, we want the poor to live longer so that they can get an education and enjoy life. This group took public money to create a pseudoscientific amalgamation of studies with low scientific validity to lecture you about having more than two beers a week. I think anybody here can see through the nonsense. Fun Police, a five-part Consumer Choice Center original podcast, uncovering the prohibitionist movements seeking to ban it all. New episodes dropping weekly wherever you get your podcasts. Um, you've been mm, telling us about different kind of cases of how, especially severe prohibitions, such as the full-scale ban, for instance, hasn't worked and uh, caused an illicit trade, for instance, which caused even uh, more harm to consumers. Um, but still, we see that more and more governments are still on this path of coming up with some of those policies or paternalistic uh, regulations. And even though there is this kind of empirical evidence that it doesn't work, they're still coming up with it. So my question is, what do you think is the incentive behind that? Why do they keep getting back to it? There are, I think there are several different reasons. Um, one is just straightforward Puritanism and moral absolutism. Um, there's now a broad consensus, really, that smoking needs to be stamped out at some point. Um, it's happening gradually. The Prime Minister in Britain has announced it's going to be happening literally by increasing the age at which people can buy cigarettes every year indefinitely until nobody can buy cigarettes. But that absolutism about that issue is, is 
clearly going to, and already is, turning into a belief in a nicotine-free world. So you've got people who are just yeah, absolutists, uh, moral Puritans. You've also got the old problem of mission creep. You know, if, if, if cigarettes and smoking is felt, it feels to people as if, a, as if it's a problem that's largely been dealt with, and as far as most non-smokers have been are concerned, it has been if you have a, a smoking ban, because that's the only thing that really bothers non-smokers about smoking, really, most of them anyway. Um, what do these anti-smoking campaigners do? They've got to move on to the next thing, and the next thing is pretty obviously vaping. You've got a lot of money, a huge amount of money, swishing around from Michael Bloomberg in particular, you know, literally tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars being spent specifically to ban e-cigarette flavours because he sees that's the soft underbelly really of this issue and you can fool politicians into banning flavours and make them think that they're just tinkering with regulation whereas in actual fact they're gutting the entire category um so yeah i think you have different motivations some people are just confused and stupid and being lied to about the the risks of, of vaping you know i mean very very large numbers of people now in in, in many, many countries, including the UK and America and certainly Australia, believe that vaping is worse for you than smoking. So I guess if you're, going to, if you're against smoking, you're going to be against vaping if you've been misinformed to that degree. So, yeah, there's a lot of different reasons, um, and, but a lot of them are based on ignorance, unfortunately. Right. And we also work on... Um debunking all the misconceptions about vaping because there are so many and it's being attacked on a larger scale and it's hard to fight that because many people believe in um, myths especially concerning nicotine as you have already mentioned yeah. you've also mentioned um, the announcement that just to shift to the UK and talk about the situation and vaping there you've also mentioned that the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak announced recently that um, the generational ban will be implemented right to to fight smoking um, and UK also is the country that has been very progressive on vaping um, it's it's a rare example because um, it has been delivering vape kits recently and um, has been using vaping as a smoking cessation method generally but just to uh, like abstract from that for a moment what do you think about generational smoking ban? Is would that be an effective public health policy? No, it's absurd. I mean, you only have to think about what it would look like within a fairly short space of time to see how silly it's going to be. I mean, even if I was a, a young person who had no intention of ever buying cigarettes, I would still feel discriminated against if, in five years' time, my older brother is allowed to smoke and buy cigarettes for the rest of his life, and I'm never allowed to buy them. So it's just arbitrary and silly and discriminatory, possibly illegal even because it's, it's so discriminatory based on age, I don't know. Um, and all, you know, clearly what's going to happen in the, in the first years at least is that the 26-year-old's going to be buying cigarettes for the 25-year-old. Why wouldn't you? you know, most people wouldn't buy cigarettes for an 11-year-old, but there's no moral reason why you wouldn't do it for somebody who's 25. And then it's 30 and then 35 and then 40. Um, except, of course, it won't. I mean, it'll never get to that stage, will it? it we'll get to the point in only five or six years, probably, when the anti-smoking groups will say, well, we've stopped the people under the age of 24 from ever smoking. And people are still taking it up. They're still getting it on the black market, would you believe? 
And actually, it's quite easy for them to get it on the on the kind of grey or black market. Who would have thought? Because the twenty six year olds are buying them, um, and shopkeepers don't really you know, want to have to mess around asking for ID from people who are in the late twenties or whatever. So let's ban it for everyone. That's what they're going to do. It's not. We're never going to get to a point where like ninety nine year olds are not allowed to smoke, but a hundred years old. I mean, it's just another step to the very final step of prohibition which itself, of course, would be a, a fiasco, uh, assuming there's um, any significant number of people who still want to smoke. It's, no, it's possible that through the use of vaping and heated tobacco and nicotine pouches, you get to the point where there's only you know 1% of the population wants to smoke, potentially. I'm not sure we'll ever get to that. Um, and I'm not sure if we should penalise the 1%, even if it does get to that. But, you know, it's a, it would be a generally more progressive and reasonable way of trying to go about hitting these smoke-free targets than this ludicrous idea of banning anyone born before 2009 from ever buying any tobacco, which is what it is. It's not even, it's even worse than the New Zealand thing, um, because New Zealand thing only includes uh, cigarettes, whereas it looks like the UK government wants to include ICOS and cigars and cigarette plate papers, can you believe? And also in this announcement, the prime minister said that potentially vaping is also will also be facing some of the further restrictions. We don't know whether it's flavors or anything else, but generally, do you think vaping, which is nowadays used as a harm reduction tool for consumers in the UK, can it be under threat? And like, if so, what's your stance on it? Do you, what's what would be the ideal take on vaping for you and? Just generally, what I think we've got a pretty good system already. We just don't enforce the laws that already exist. That's the problem. Um, I mean, if anything, we should be relaxing some of the European Union regulations, which are just a nuisance. But fortunately, they're only a nuisance. They're not like fatally undermining the whole category. Um, yeah, the government is looking at possibly banning disposable vapes, possibly banning flavors or some flavors. Uh, and possibly regulating you know, what names you can give to these flavors so they're not child friendly, regulating the packaging. I'm not too worried about them, you know, banning you know, what they consider to be child friendly names and you know, unicorns on the packing. I don't think that makes a great deal of difference. Um, a ban on disposables would be bad news for a lot of people. We've got over a million adults using disposables, the vast majority of whom, of course, are either smokers or ex-smokers. So presumably some of those would go back to smoking. Um, and flavours, as we've already said, you know, it's, it's absolutely fundamental to, to, to e-cigarettes and, and politicians need to understand that nobody wants to be using the so-called tobacco flavour, which I, and most people think is, is, doesn't taste like tobacco for a start and isn't very nice. Um, so yeah, there's a real danger that we're going to go backwards on this. Um, it's all started because... Um, there are a relatively large number of school children who are vaping disposable vapes. Nowhere near as many as, as people in Britain think. I think it's something like four four percent of um, kind of you know, under eighteen teenagers are vaping on a regular basis, and about twenty percent have ever tried a vape. So eighty percent have never even tried a vape, um, which actually is pretty, it's pretty high when you consider how many teenagers used to have at least tried smoking, you know, and still have. Um, so there's, yeah, there's a big panic about that. The prime minister's got two 
fairly young daughters. He's worried about them vaping and so on. So uh, we shall see what has to be done. You know, what 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 they want to do rather. Um, hopefully, they will at least leave the, the flavors alone. But you, know, you just don't know with this government; they just want to ban everything. Right. And on that note, I'm moving to our last question. And just to wrap up this uh, podcast or an interview, since you're working so much on uh, government intervention and also consumer rights, I wanted to ask you what would be your message to consumers and vapors in this, in this case? How can they defend their choice, not only in the UK, but globally? Um, you just got to keep chipping away and it gets very tedious having to rebut and debunk the, the junk science all the time. Um, but there, you know, there is plenty of you know, reliable sound evidence you can point people to if they believe that nicotine causes cancer or nicotine melts the brain or whatever they say. Um, and you have got a public health argument, you know, like I said before, when I'm defending alcohol and, and smoking and gambling and so on you, know, you can't really say these things are particularly great for your health although moderate drinking is, is quite good um but with this issue you are you know you're on the side of sensible public health people um, by taking a liberal stance on this because cigarettes and vapes are substitute products and personally i don't mind which one of those you want to pick i think it should be entirely down to you but the government and the public health lobby mind very much and they don't want people like me going back to cigarettes, presumably. So they need to understand um, how you're going to prevent that. Because I think they're a lot more bothered about me not smoking than I am. You know, if you ban vapes, I'll just go back to smoking. It doesn't mean that much to me, you know. Um, so, yeah, keep chipping away. I mean, the thing that was effective at the EU level in Brussels back in, the, you know, 10 years ago when they were looking at, uh, essentially banning e-cigarettes. I mean, they were going to me medicalise them. And um, and that legislation did get very much watered down for the better. And it really was because vapors wrote to their representatives. You know, and this works, I think, anywhere in the world. You, you write to politicians, particularly those who profess to be particularly concerned about smoking and about public health, and just say, look, I've smoked for 25 years and I never even wanted to quit, and I did because I picked up a disposable vape. Please don't ban these things. Um, you know, personal testimony from real people does actually go a long way, um, particularly if there's a lot of them. Um, so, you know, politicians, generally speaking, do listen to um, to the public. The antis are constantly pestering them and sending them nonsense and saying, "Think of the children," all this kind of crap. Um, so, yeah, it, it can be done. You can't you can't despair about about this thing, um, and it is a more winnable battle in the kind of lifestyle area than any other. Thank you so much. And generally, thank you for your insight today. It's been a very interesting interview and I'm sure our listeners enjoyed it as much as I did. Great, uh, great speaking to you. Thank you. Thank you to anyone who's listening. Yeah, we're always ready to host you again. Um, to the people who are listening to us, um, thank you for watching and listening, Vaping Unplugged. Um, don't forget that we will be back with the next the new episode next week. So stay tuned for that. Um, as Mr. Snowdon said, please share your personal stories because they matter. Um, and also, most importantly, Vape On. Thank you. <laughs>